I just started getting used to writing 2019 on my checks, and now we're going to have to change it again. <clears throat> well, we are going to continue our study in Colossians that we left off just prior to our Advent season. And um, before we do, let me just ask the Lord's blessing on our time together as we look at his word. Well, Father, we um, rejoice in your goodness to us, regardless of the circumstances we face here in this life. We know that you love us, have redeemed us, have given us eternal life, made it possible to have a relationship, a personal relationship with you, made it possible for you to comfort us in those darkest of hours, all because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the people of Colossae, we would just ask that you would speak to our hearts some 2,000 years later, later through these words. And thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship you. In our Savior's name, amen. Okay, so how many of you stayed up till midnight to bring in the new year? Wow. Some of you are old, too. How many of you stayed up till 9 o'clock just to watch the, the ball back there drop? And yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, that's, yeah. I brought in the new year sound asleep. It was wonderful. So, you know, um, it's interesting as you watch crowds gather for a new year celebration and all that, the joy, the excitement, something about a new beginning, a fresh beginning. Um, it's a time to reflect, it's a time to celebrate, it's a time to um, think about the future, what the future might hold, and um, it's an interesting time maybe to reflect back on uh, where we are at in our individual lives. Um, and I have a favor, Merlin, could you dim these lights right here just a little bit? That would be wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, I was looking for some quotes, and I ran on, all right. Okay, I'm on up here. And we are not getting anything. This is really disconcerting when you're trying to... There, here's a perspective. No, that's the wrong perspective. This one is where I wanted to start. Ogden Nash, <laughs> he said of the new year, every new year is a direct descendant, isn't it, of a long line of proven criminals. <laughs> you know, if you look back from the world's perspective on last year, look at the mess it was, you know, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year, you know, it's just all the way back. But, <clears throat> um, hold that thought. Tell you what, take a couple minutes and re-greet one another and wish them a happy new year and we'll get this figured out. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs>
All right. Here, here, here's another perspective. That last perspective was kind of from the world's perspective, from Ogden Nash. But the Lord would say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And even though some days are darker than others, still the Lord says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And there's an attitude that goes with that. Can we rejoice in this day? Can we give thanks for this day? Some of us already know there's some difficult days ahead this year. Some of us have suffered a tragedy in recent days and months <clears throat> that is going to affect us the rest of our lives. Um, but yet, but yet, we know the risen Savior and the hope that he gives that regardless of the circumstances of this life, this life is passing away. But if we put our confidence and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have an eternity to look forward to. And so we can rejoice that this is the day the Lord has made. Well, everybody probably, and I appreciate Weston's um, artistry this morning. I had to laugh when I saw it because it's almost exactly this slide, and I just gave him an idea, and, and he went with it. But um, what would you desire to accomplish in the next 365 days? Well, here are some thoughts, you know. Coming out of the Christmas season, it'd really be good be good to lose 10 pounds. How many would like, no, I'm not, never mind, never mind. But um, I, I, got a, I got two wonderful daughters-in-law, and one of them loves chocolate. And as of the first, she and her husband, Drew, are going to go on a diet for the next month to detox. So over Christmas, she gorged herself on chocolate. <laughs> you know, we made fudge. She ate most of it. And um, what's, I really made a mistake a, a, a while back because she's really good at letting Drew come up and help me. As a thank you, I know she likes dark chocolate bars. So I sent her a dark chocolate bar as a thank you for letting Drew come up and help. Bad idea. Now, every time Drew comes up to help, I owe Jessica a chocolate bar. I realized by the time I pay Drew and pay Jess, I'm actually running in the red on that deal. <laughs> But it's a fun thing we got going on in our family. Um, you know, reading through the Bible, uh, Chuck has given us a challenge. That's a great challenge for this year. And um, get more exercise, yeah, probably should do that. See item one above to help with that. Be more faithful in my personal devotions. We can do that through reading through the Bible. You know, I hope some of these ideas resonate with your hearts. Um, these were just things I came up with. Be more patient with my spouse, my children, my cat, or whatever other critter is running around your house you need to be more patient with. It might be your spouse. Who knows? Um, and love my neighbor as myself. Now, that, that's a hard one sometimes when your neighbor is not a really a lovable creature. Um, but you can, you can think that through that as you would. It brings me to this, this point here. What motivates us to draw up a list of things we want to accomplish? And that's where Paul's taking this transition between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Colossians. What motivates us? For many people, simple survival motivates them. You know, can I exist for another day? I don't, uh, some, 
some of our people, like down in Tijuana. Um, there's a missionary couple down there we correspond with, and they literally have a ministry out in the garbage dumps of Tijuana because many families are out at the garbage dump trying to scrounge anything they can to survive. And so they take the gospel to the garbage dumps. Well, we're not faced with survival here, and so we're able to turn our attention, some of us, to hobbies, you know, things we like to do, we don't have to do. You know, hobbies are a luxury, obviously. Um, relationships can be very, very important to many people. I tease Joy, you know, she's very relational. When we have a potluck down here, I used to try to wait for her, so we'd go through the line. I gave up. She would rather feast on fellowship than food, you know, and that, for her, feeds her soul. I would rather feast on food and then talk some, you know. But So I don't wait for her anymore, and she doesn't wait for me anymore as she's fellowshipping. This time of year, obviously, you know, sports for many people are a huge, huge motivation. You know, sports just dominates. When, when I was in grade school, everything shut down on Sundays. Now, sports events, and if you're in high school, they want you playing sports on Sundays. If you're in rodeo, they're having rodeo and horse show events on Sundays. Sundays are dominated by sports, and certainly over the holidays, um, we have the opportunity to witness a lot of sports. What motivates us? Well, talk about enthusiasm. Um, this is Paul Warner. <laughs> I got this. He's probably listening down the hall. I told him I had a slide of him. Um, you know, you got you to admire the enthusiasm, right? Well, the... Uh, Niners are doing well this year, obviously, and they have an arch rival, many of you know, are the Seahawks. And um, no one shuts up the 12th player. That is the crowd. You know, they've got this thing going on, this enthusiasm that just goes with everybody and the excitement of being a part of that. And as I was looking at those two slides, I found this one. And I just think this is, this is sportsmanship, isn't it? You know, the joy of just enjoying whether you're a Seahawk fan or a Niner fan or whatever, just the joy of sports and the fun of that. You realize there's some people in this crowd seated with you that actually during a Sunday morning are recording a football game as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Dave. It's okay. <laughs> well, why do I bring all this kind of stuff up is because I want us to capture a concept that the things we think about, things that motivate us to bring out the enthusiasm within us are part of our soul and what makes us up. If you remember this guy, Epaphras, obviously the face I put with the name. You remember his enthusiasm when we started Colossians? It is because of his enthusiasm and his love for the Lord and his enthusiasm and his love for people that he traveled 1,100 miles to ask Paul some questions because he didn't quite know how to work out the gospel with a church body that he'd planted made up of Jews and Gentiles and barbarians and all kinds of people that were in Colossae. How, how do I do this? And out of his love for those people, 
and his love to, for the word of God and our Savior and wanting to share that right, he made a trip all the way to Rome to ask Paul some questions. And out of those questions, Paul wrote the book of Colossians. And we have it down to this day. To me, he is a man to be admired. Because how many of us would be willing to take on a walking and a seafaring journey of 1,100 miles out of love for other people? Are we willing to do that? Can we do that? Um, and that's part of the concept of understanding that what motivates us moves us. So Paul, as we face this new year, is going to give us a reason for motivation that's different than the world does. And it's what the, well, I'm going to skip that slide. Paul's suggestion right here is this, beginning at chapter 3. If then you have been raised up with Christ, there is a motivation. What he means there is if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you realize that he went to the cross to die for your sin, and that you have accepted that, that the way of salvation is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be saved. If you are in Christ, recognize that he bought your life with a price, his very blood. He shed his blood for you and for me. He bought us with a price, his life. If you've been raised up, then keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Now that is an action. The motivation leads to an action. And we're going to unpack that in the next three weeks about what does it mean to seek the things above even though we are living in this world right now. How does that shake out? What does it mean? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Does that mean we can't enjoy football or other sports or other activities? No, he's not saying that. It's a matter of perspective that we'll look at. And then here's the rest of the motivation right here. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. Okay. And somehow as believers, that needs to just permeate deep down within our spirit in our consciousness, into our very souls, that we are a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. A new perspective, a new outlook on life. That I have been called, and you have been called, to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to the world. We are called to be ambassadors for the Lord. You, he doesn't just choose anybody to be an ambassador. You know, when we send an ambassador overseas to represent the United States, you just don't pick somebody off the street. You pick somebody that you know will represent you well. When I hire young men and young women to work for WRM, our business, we know that when they're out there, they are representing who we are as a business. And so we choose very, very carefully to do that. And God has chosen us to represent him. And that was what becomes so important as Paul transitions into chapter 3. What does that look like in our lives? And Derek touched on it last week when he was talking about 
the privilege we have as men to act out our role and the privilege we have as you ladies to act out your role, not as the world would have you do it, but as an ambassador and a testimony of who God is. So we move on for another part of the motivation that Paul shares with us. When you were dead in your transgressions, and remember I've talked about being dead in our sins in the past, and I've used the example of a, a dead horse skull. And if you think about a dead horse skull, a skull just laying there, that is really dead, dead. And the concept that something dead is going to become alive and somehow do something enough to merit salvation is ludicrous, isn't it? When he says this to us, when you were in that condition, in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. So don't let anything in the world convict you that God is holding you guilty for something that has happened in the past. Now, there may be ramifications for sin. There usually are, almost always are. But God is not holding that against you. Never believe in your heart because of the difficulties you're facing and the challenges you face that God somehow has got his mean little thumb over you and is squishing you down because of some sin you've committed in the past. You know what? We are, if that were true, we would all be in that condition. But God has raised us up and sees us as holy before him because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So don't go there in your heart. When you were dead, he raised us up and has forgiven us all of our transgression. He has cast our sin, the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west and as far as the deepest part of the sea. And he will remember it no more. No more. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that he remembers my sin no more. And that's a motivation. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which is hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When our Savior hung on that cross, he nailed your sin on our Savior. All of it, family, every bit of it, every bit of it. You are clean before him. You are righteous before him. He's chosen you to be his ambassadors. And that is the motivation Paul wants us to understand as he makes this transition for what Paul is going to share with us about how to live. This is how you represent me. Not you, me. I bought you with a price. You're going to be my ambassadors. <clears throat> There's a wonderful verse later on we'll look at in more detail in Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not, begin, pardon me, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Think about that. You don't have to be a slave to anything. You don't have to be a slave to addictions. 
because addictions, whether it's coffee in the morning that you have to have, or chocolate that you have to have, or alcohol that you have to have, or anything else down the list that you have to have, he's freed us from that, to live free. And when we have to have something, we are not free. See, we're not free. So God says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Then he is more specific, as we looked at um, just before the Advent season. In that little church in Colossae, there were a number of Jews that were struggling, trying to understand. And you can certainly realize this. They'd been taught their whole lives to observe the law and to go through these different rituals and everything like this. And all of a sudden, Paul is saying, and the gospel is saying, you're free from all that. Christ has fulfilled the law. You don't have to keep all those rituals anymore. You don't have to keep the dietary things. And so he lays out a few things there in verses 16 and following. Let no one judge you regarding the food you drink, food or drink, the food you eat, the things you drink, the dietary laws from Leviticus, or the festivals. You don't have to do all these festivals that are there, or the new moon, or the Sabbath, or the keeping of the law, because Christ fulfilled it all. That's a tremendous weight lifted off. You know, every single religion except Christianity, you have to perform something to merit righteousness. The gospel's message is there is nothing you can do to merit righteousness. It is a gift to you by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, he also, back there in chapter 2, he looks at this for us, and we looked at this um, back in November, so I'm not going to belabor the point. To the Gentiles, he says, don't let anyone take away the prize, your freedom Christ, by delighting in self-abasement, delighting in the worship of angels, Visions of proclaimed as truth, inflated by the arrogance of a fleshly mind. And what Paul is saying to us there is all these things that we ask other people to do to merit righteousness is arrogance, really. Who are we to say what you have to do to become righteous with God? See the fallacy in that? Like if we were to say, you have to become a member of Oak Grove Bible Fellowship. You have to go through a membership class, and you have to believe certain doctrines, da 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 da, da and we give you a list. Well, that is requiring something to be done to merit righteousness. And that's not the gospel. See, that's not the gospel. It's an arrogance of a fleshly mind. Because... We look at this concept right here. Is that clear? Hopefully that's clear enough. There's the last part in particular. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit, to your, you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are matters which, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. In other words, it's foolishness. Okay? It's man 
man proclaiming what it means to be religious instead of having a relationship with the true and living God. I hope this is making sense because this is a really super important concept that we understand what Paul is trying to say to us about what is going to motivate us to an action. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And he's setting the stage to detail for us what that's going to look like. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is head over all in the rule and authority. You know, we've talked about the concept of what the church is. The church, you are the church. I am the church. The church is made up of people. It's the body, quote unquote, of Christ. People are the body of Christ, and he is the head. And that is why, and it's a really important concept for us here at Oak Grove. We are Oak Grove Bible Fellowship. We are a fellowship that comes together around God's word, and we are part of the church, the entire church, the worldwide church, those that name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And that church is worldwide and has spanned back millennia and will span in the future until such time that the Lord returns. So what does it begin to look like? Here's where Paul is going to go with it. In, in chapter 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. And he's going to share with us how to do that. He goes on to say, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sin. Okay, do not serve that any longer. Pattern your lives so you don't have to serve sin. The difficulty is that sin at the beginning is fun. It's good. It always presents itself like that forbidden fruit in the garden. Something that is pleasing to the eye. A delight to grab and hold. But once you've tasted it, it leads to death. That's the insidious thing about sin. It doesn't come on looking like evil. It comes on looking really good and to fulfill a, a need. And it's really unfortunate that a lot of people, and we've probably all been there ourselves, we will move towards sin to meet a legitimate need instead of waiting patiently on the Lord for him to meet the need. Wait patiently for the Lord. He goes on to say, put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Notice the words we say in there, put on the new self to the image of the one who created him. Not a new self like, okay, I'm, I'm sort of involved in agriculture right now, and now I want to be a fireman. That's a new image. And he's not saying that. He's saying in the image of the one that created you. Because remember, again, he's called us to be an ambassador. And the concept being he wants others to look at your life and my life and see him. Not necessarily Steve or Ron or anybody else, but to see him. To see him. 
in everything we do, in everything we say, in every way we present our lives. Part of what he's saying, and this is really a big one in those days and, and um, semi-reflected still today, uh, a renewal in which there is no distinction between the, the Greek and the Jew, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free man, but Christ is in all and in all. Well, in the South, 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we had our civil rights movement because of prejudices. Okay. During the Civil War, I actually have a set of sermons done by a Southern pastor justifying slavery because it's used in scripture for the cause of the South. But yet, when we, when we come to know Christ, all that racial stuff fades away, doesn't it? And we have people in our church from a lot of different continents here, just in this little Oak Grove church. But there's a unity in Jesus Christ. There's not a separation. Greg Decker once said, Christianity, if I, I can't remember how exactly he said it, but generally he said, Christianity is the only religion that transcends cultural barriers without destroying culture. That's a really interesting concept because you can be from India or Africa or America or Asia or the Ukraine, wherever, and the gospel still is the same, and people, when they come to know Christ, become your brothers and sisters, regardless of where they're from or what they look like. That's amazing, isn't it? And you can meet somebody from a foreign country and have immediate connection because they're a brother or sister in the Lord. Where this is going, <clears throat> and what Paul really wants us to say, to, uh, for us to understand. Don't play church an organization. A lot of people live out their lives, and they go to a church building, and they go through a service, and they send their kids to youth groups and everything else, but there's no transformation in their life. It's just part of what we do. It's tradition. I grew up in a family like that. My family, as you know, came from Missouri. Southern Baptist, you go to church on Sunday. That's what you do. And the rest of the week, you do what you do. Unfortunately, I had a very moral family, but not a family that lived out their lives in the concept that we're ambassadors for Christ. It's just what we did. Okay, and that's a lot of what goes on. That shows up in a lot of ways. It shows up in when you get in a situation where you compromise what the scripture is saying for what is politically correct to do within the church. And there's a number of examples you can think of. I don't need to illustrate that, where that happens. Or it shows up in the way we put an emphasis on one thing and disregard somebody else's interest over here because we think this is exactly the way to go and our self becomes the ruler of things rather than considering the needs of others more important than yourself. I spoke on peace going into the Christmas season, and I made a point from Scripture that if you really want to experience peace in your life, you've got to surrender your will 
to his and say basically, Lord, whatever you desire from me this day, thy will be done and not mine. If you go into that day saying, it's got to be this way, you will not, you may get it your way, but you will not experience the true peace of God at that point. Surrendering for all of us is super hard to do because by nature we're self-centered. That is our sinful nature. I want my way, and James talks about it. If you got it and I want, I go wacky on the head to get it, and I take it. And our Lord is saying to us, I want to free you from that. And what we must realize is to truly be free involves surrender of my will to yours in all aspects of our life. Husbands to your wife, wives to your husband, children to your parents, workers to the employers, employers to your workers, all the way across the board. He calls us to be the church. We are the church, but by our the way we live out our lives will show if we're truly being the church and not just playing church. I know the elders and certainly I desire more than anything else that we as a body of believers, when people would look at us, they'd see the Savior and we would be the church where we go and where we do, where we serve, whatever we, however we invest our lives. I've got another slide, but I'm going to leave it there until next week with this final thought. I think as we start this new year, it's wise for all of us, certainly myself included, to examine my heart and ask the question, Lord, what motivates me? Is it love for my grandkids or my kids or the ranch or my work? Are those the gods of my life or are those the blessings that come from the God of my life? Because it's based on our motivations that we'll make decisions of what we do this year. If our motivation is to serve Christ and to know him better and to exemplify him and to be the ambassador that he's called us to be, then we'll make it a priority to be in God's word, whether we go through the year-long reading or not, however it works for you, if you're in God's word because you want to know the Savior better, to have a relationship with him and to meet that calling to be his ambassador and to proclaim to a dying world. You realize we have the privilege of proclaiming to a dying world the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe and the savior of mankind. That is our calling, family. Are you motivated to do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's challenge to us. And Father, as we look ahead, may we just examine our hearts before you in honesty. And if we need to make a course correction, may we do it in the sincerity of the depths of our soul because we want to serve the one that holds our life in his hand for all eternity. Thank you for this time.
and bless us as uh, we sing, as Dan leads us, that we sing our love and our praises to you. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. All right, Dan. Let's stand up.